and he finished it out and said, the Lord Jesus Christ. So my sisters and brothers spread all across India and elsewhere, greetings to you in the name of the Most High One, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm very grateful for the opportunity of uh, presenting this particular topic on the global pandemic and testing your spiritual health. I uh, still remember as a highlight moment, the time with the, the Logos Management Club, two or three Christmases ago, it was a special delight to be able to plant some seeds for eternity and confirm others in terms of their own spiritual journey. And to know that Compass is also part and is hosting this event as a monthly event. Thank you for including me today. And then finances God's way. CBMC, God has been using you all across as well. So I am grateful for this opportunity of, of being with you. I am told that this particular event, there was an email a typo misspelled instead of saying what it wanted to say it said this particular evening will be held on october 11th i think it was supposed to be will be held on october 11th i'm glad i can be together with you this is a fourth extensive uh, speaking engagement in the last 48 hours i had two with youth leaders from india about 300 or so it was a great moment. They are looking to you for their guidance so they can guide others. It was called a Youth Mentoring Leadership event. I had the privilege of telling them my favorite mantra when it comes to leadership. All leaders inspire and move people, all leaders. They can actually segment and sector uh, people and initiate matters against each other. All leaders inspire and move people. Good leaders, they influence and mobilize followers. So the really good leaders, they influence. You just heard my brother Emmanuel David use the word influence. They influence and mobilize followers, not just general public, but those who are following the leaders. But the best leaders, and the reason I wanted to accept this invitation, the best leaders, they increase and multiply leaders. They increase and multiply leaders. So to the 250, 300 uh, or so who are on this 239, I noticed, who are on this call, you are of that caliber. You are, have the privilege of increasing and multiplying leaders. It allows the perpetuation of uh, health, spiritual health, your own personal health spilling over to others. Thank you, my brother Emmanuel David, for the uh, introduction. The only thing worthwhile in the introduction was you talking about my parents, my mother's cherubic smile. That's the only recording piece I want, so I can share that with my family and my siblings, so they can also rejoice in that nostalgic moment of you being there at my father's installation. Yes, they uh, are the greats. We all stand on the shoulders of others. So for the privilege of addressing you. Thank you, uh, Reverend uh, Johnson Samuel as well for, for hosting this. 
As I understand this audience, this is a virtual audience. Uh, that is the default way of meeting anymore. It has allowed uh, greater exposure, though face-to-face -face would be much better. This is not as bad as we thought. Everybody is wondering who was the real pinpoint culprit for the coronavirus COVID-19. And I'm told that the pinpoint source of the COVID-19 coronavirus epidemic was not a place but a company called Zoom. Zoom has now uh, grown by 100,000% valued way higher than so many other companies because all of us are zooming in, but hopefully not zoning out. It is also a spiritual take. I'm told that most of my audience already know the Lord Jesus and that I'm here to, to encourage you. About 30 or 45 minutes uh, of a talk and then about 15 minutes or so of Q&A. Thank you for uh, muting your microphone. Somebody said not muting is the current version of reply all in emails. Thank you for muting your microphone and the chat box will be open very soon. Uh, this is a way of keeping the focus on the message, not so much the messenger, but the message. This weekend, there was a major uh, development in Australia. It was billed as the flight to nowhere. So over the last few hours, a flight left Sydney on an Airbus 380, the world's largest plane, carrying a passenger load who paid between $500 and $2,700 on this flight to nowhere, a seven-hour scenic route, so that people can look out the windows. People are so anxious to get out during this time of the lockdown. They don't know how to handle and manage life. Singapore Airlines thought they could do that. They decided against it. And so in Changi Airport, there is an Airbus 330, which is uh, a restaurant. You can get on to the plane and enjoy an exquisite meal, as Singaporeans are known, especially probably soft-shell crab, which is one of my favorites at Changi. And then they get off the plane. It's a flight to nowhere. Eva Airlines in Taiwan, Taipei Airlines, they have given people another experience on the flight to nowhere. You actually go to the checking agent, you check in your baggage, you go through passport and security clearance, you get on the plane and sit there for a few minutes, and then you get off the plane. That is a flight to nowhere. All of those are what I'm going to call indices to spiritual dishealth or spiritual unhealth. You and I, as believers, lovers, and followers of the Lord Jesus, though we are significantly affected by this lockdown situation, slowly opening some places, resurgence, I hear that the nine lakh mark is coming down a little bit in India. All of us in the last seven months, yesterday was the first time my wife and I went out uh, to buy a couple of things. The stores are empty. These are unusual times, they're different times, they're difficult times in a season of danger and disease and death. 
about two months ago, I was doing the live funeral service of a very dear friend of mine, Isaac Manogra, who died at the age of 50 in a comorbidity case, of course, but this is the fact and the feature of the current environment. Somebody said 2020 version arrived with a virus. We have to uninstall it and reinstall it. I wish it could be that easily done. We simply do not know the future. There is a theater called World Theater. And on the billboard marquee outside the theater, instead of advertising the movies, it said the world is temporarily closed. You have felt it. I have felt it. It's been a challenge. I'm so glad that Brother Emmanuel asked for what you're feeling right now. The small organization, I have it process as well. I made a statement for the new season. Then we went to four staff retreats. First one was a question storming event for about three and a half hours. And then we went to an idea storming retreat taking the best questions and turning them into ideas. Then from idea storming, we went to what is called an action storming sense. In the action storming event, we took the best ideas and turned them into actions. What were the priorities for the next several months as we could envision them. But the most important retreat was when I asked the question of feeling. What are you feeling? Can you capture what you're feeling in one word? The feeling storming event was the one which brought us all together. The first one was a colleague in Manila, Philippines, to whom I spoke just 12 hours ago to a church there in the family lockdown room, two and a half, three hour event. And the first word he used was exhausted. A colleague of mine in Costa Rica said powerless. Another one said stuck. I feel stuck. I feel stuck. My word has been the word grieving grieving. The one who holds the whole world in his hands has brought the whole world to its knees. I was visiting with a senior Singapore uh, in economist who's often cited in the Financial Times and so on and quoted there, he said, Ramesh is probably going to be three to seven years because the lower we go, the longer it's going to take to rise again. So we don't know what the future holds. Everybody is waiting for the future in bated breath if we can breathe. So I'm calling this testing, testing, testing. Uh, all of you are involved in public speaking. I know many of you on this call, uh, you do public speaking all the time. They hook up a microphone. They want you to do the sound check. They want you to count. So I used to count one, two, three, four, up to 10. Beyond 10 might be a little difficult. What is more difficult is when I started going the NASA reverse count, 10, 9, 8, 7, and all the way to 1. More recently, I've started doing the ordinary mundane three-peat, testing, testing, testing. And then the mixer board managers, the back of the auditorium, say, OK, this is fine. I'm going to recast that metaphor of testing, testing, testing to examine your faith, not your personal faith, 
but the sound faith, the sound faith that you have decided to embrace personally, to believe, love, to follow. So in the time that is left, I'm going to do the first part, the first testing part. So you can leave this evening with a sense of encouragement in exhaustion, instruction and inspiration, possibly, as you face the future. None of us knows what the future holds. The first question I was asked when I landed in Botswana in the middle of March was a simple one. I said, is this the end times? As a member of parliament who is picking me up, a believer in Christ, said, is, is this the end times? And I said, I don't know. I am not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I actually run a non-profit organization. But the entire season from the Lord Jesus days is called the last days. We are always in the last days. And this is the latter times of the last days. And he said, yeah, it's probably not the end times because as we read Revelation chapter seven, half of the planet will be dead. So we have yet a ways to go. At that time, we did not know. The second question was asked by an older relative of mine in, in India. And she asked, are these God's judgments upon us, Ramesh? My immediate answer was, if these are really God's judgments upon us, I don't know why he has not judged us earlier. Why he's not gotten rid of us earlier, because throughout history, we've had these huge moments of immorality and corruption, which have been evidenced in the most unbelievable ways. The third question was asked by a Christian leader to me, one of the foremost voices for the faith at this point. He asked, what is God saying to us? What is God doing to us? I said, why are you asking me? If you don't know the answer to the question, uh, I probably don't, but I can find out. And so, uh, even though I don't have exhaustive knowledge, we have reliable, objective knowledge from Scripture. That's where we can turn to right now. And what is God saying to us? What is God doing to us so that we can pass this test of our faith, not just our personal faith, but the faith, the faith that we hold to? I am happy to let you know that your faith can be confident and sure, not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. The first test is what I'm calling an identity test. The identity check. Disruptions have a way of greatly influencing who we think we are. It examines our souls. It disrupts us significantly. Because the people whom we love and the people who love us are the ones we are facing day and night. We cannot run away anywhere. We can't take flights to nowhere. 
We don't have business trips. We're facing them eyeball to eyeball, even as we look at the mirror, eyeballs into our own eyeballs. The scale and the speed of this pathogen and identity check is being significantly upon us. People are wondering if we are really who we are. Turbulent times. We have quickly found out how flimsy our views of who we are have begun to unravel. We have no foundations. Can we really know who we are in the space of disruption? Even as we mask our exteriors, we are unmasked on the interior. Identity politics by religion, by caste, by race, by color, by language, by history, uh, gender, uh, categorizes us and produces external conflict, but we're also internally conflicted. The economics of the situation, when we have the fourth richest man being three times as uh, rich as the next richest man in the country, you do have lots of identity issues. The people whom we with, live with 24 seven, they're struggling with themselves, let alone struggling with us. We have often formed our identity for other people's benefit and even at other people's expense. And sometimes we cost them much. I know all of India has been fixated on SSR's death. And then more recently in the CBI director's death. Peer pressure, public models are struggling with their own identities. And actually psychologists and sociologists say we form multiple identities. We try to play the expected social roles and they all fall apart when we have those who seek to please us, whom we seek to impress. These are not anymore possible. So conflict breaks out between husband and wife, between parents and kids. Identities are important who you are. You have two options. You can go to horizontal sources and inner sources to form your identity. <laughs> but everything that we depend upon as far as horizontal sources have messed us up because we're not with them as much. Inner sources, you hear people say, be authentic, be true to yourself. If you really knew me and if I was true to myself, I'd be a great danger to you. And if I really knew you and you were true to yourself, I'd be disappointed. So let's not look at who we are in a vertical way, in a horizontal way, but let's go to an absolute vertical way from outside view, which you can embrace personally and live it out in the life that you have been given. For we don't know how long we have, but we can live this life. For those of you who are named as believers in the Lord Jesus, you have a horizontal reality that can be lived out because of your vertical, absolute, objective source of who you are. When you became a believer in Christ, not because your father was, because your grandfather was, because you have 2,000 years of Christian tradition, because you personally embraced the Lord Jesus as your God, the Savior of your heart and your soul, something new happened. You became a new creature. 
So you don't have to have a self-based reformation. You don't even have to think of a self-regeneration. You don't have to think of how you can replace your personality. We are fed up of personalities and celebrities. I've got some good news for you. Your spiritual redemption. It is possible to subscribe to who you are and to what God says about you in terms of your identity. There are usually three ways in which we look at identity features. One is the issue of belonging. This has been ripped apart as everything that we socially belonged to was not easily possible. Belonging is critical. To whom do you belong? A second feature of identity is what may be called appearance. How do I appear? Now, we learned that we don't need that much if you're staying at home. We didn't have to put on appearances for others. The third issue is performance. And this too has been significantly questioned and compromised because we didn't have to perform as much. Uh, we sat and manipulated the phones and video conference calls. Most of us have had some degree of success, but uh, even the performance levels by which we identified ourselves have been significantly marginalized. This is where I've got good news for you. You have a sound faith. It's the Trinitarian faith which makes your uh, convictions sound in a good sound check. In a Trinitarian Christian identity, first of all, you belong to the Father. What a precious uh, uniqueness. You belong to the Father. Do you know that many people uh, wish they had a father? We have the absent father syndrome. We have the abusive father syndrome. My father was probably as perfect as we could possibly get, and I'm so grateful for that uh, introduction. In fact, when I was young, I even wondered if he sinned till I became older to know that he was just another mortal like myself. But here is the great truth. You belong to the Heavenly Father. There are over a billion people who cannot call God Father. One of my dear friends in Hyderabad, who comes from another faith, that was what brought her the ability to call God Father. And this is not a general creator father, but a salvation father that he looked across the human race and history and geography and picked each one of our 252 on this and said, I want to be your father. Will you embrace me as your father? This means that once you are God's child, that there's a certain spiritual constitutional truth that will never be changed about you. You may rebel against your father, as I did in my mid-years, I'm sure I brought confusion to them. And my son, one of my sons did towards me, 
but it never changes the DNA. You are his child. You belong. This will never be changed. Even if my kids were to change their last name, guess what? They'll never stop constitutionally and genetically being my kids. That's the same with you. And God, you may run away. He keeps his arms open and say, come back, because you are my child. Some of you know the great uh, Nobel Literature Prize winner. I know you've been looking at the Nobel Prize winners at this point. His name was Ernest Hemingway in his book, The Capital of the World, talks about Madrid, Spain, where he sees a son and a father in conflict in his book. The father is begging the son not to take a suicidal route away from all the things that the father had taught him. But the son decides to run away from the father. In the book, The Capital of the World, set in Madrid, Spain, the son's name is Paco. Paco is not the real name. Paco is a term of endearment, more like a nickname that fathers, like Raja, son. Paco is a favorite name in the Spanish language for all young males. The father looks all over Madrid, Spain, the capital of the world. They, he cannot find them, find a son. He cannot find a son. So he gets the idea to place a classified ad in the newspaper. And the classified ad simply says this, Paco, meet me tomorrow 9 a.m. at Hotel Montana. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. Paco, meet me tomorrow 9 a.m. Hotel Montana. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. The next morning, the father is making his way to Hotel Montana, 9 a.m., wondering if his son Paco has read the classified ad or heard about this offer. And as he arrives there, he finds 700, 800 Pacos waiting because everybody wanted to hear a word. That's your faith. The father has made you his child. You will never change in your status before him. That's an identity issue. Even if everybody else rejects you, the ones who love you may dispose of you, but you're not disposable. You're not discardable. This disease may get us, but you're the father's child. Then, in terms of the son, you're the son's bride. In your appearance, you're the son's bride. That's one of the favorite descriptions of uh, Yahweh in the Old Testament of Israel. And, of course, the Lord Jesus calls us his bride. In the great mystery chapter of Ephesians 5, we don't know whether he's talking about a man and his wife or talking about Christ and the church. The first two chapters of the Bible is a wedding, and the last two chapters of the Bible is a wedding. 
when at this wedding banquet there'll be people, many people, multitudes from east and west and south and north, strong all across the world and all of time who comprise the bride at this banquet. I know the Indian wedding industry has set a big uh, stop at this time because of lockdown issues. And nobody celebrates weddings like Indian weddings. I recently did a lockdown social distancing live wedding. And those of you who've done weddings know that you cannot uh, say much that will be remembered. Everybody is thinking about the bride and the bridegroom. This was for a co-staff member, so I did the wedding. I don't think he heard a single word I said that day. I hope I have a better batting average right now uh, with you. He didn't hear a single word I was saying. Maybe five, 10 years from now when they play the audio video, something wise was said. Why? Because his eyes were focused as his bride came down the aisle. That's all he was occupied, preoccupied with her. Even when we went through the ceremony, and then when the very march played the exit, guess what? All that he had in his mind and his heart was his bride. My dear friend, my sister, my brother, in this morning fighting the huge challenge of COVID all over the world, country where I'm at is the worst, I know India where you're at is the second worst. We're housed in isolation. We're looking at the challenges of whether we are valued at all. You are part of the bride. God will never devalue you. Regardless of what economic class you belong to, in a nine class system, middle, upper, middle, 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 lower, upper, 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 middle, upper, lower, or lower, upper, lower, middle, lower, lower. Somebody said when I arrive in, uh, in India, Till then, I'm an Indian, and they ask me where my native place, I say South India, and when I arrive in Kerala, they ask me, what is your native place, and I say Madhya Kerala, and when I get to Madhya Kerala, they ask me, what is your village, what is your native place? We can easily, easily be marginalized, but here is the truth. God's transformation makes you beautiful. You will be someday presented in stunning display. This is what God says about you, my friend. You are his child. As the father looks at you, you are his child. As the son looks at you, you are his bride. More delightful more talented than any Bollywood actress or any Miss World sexist competition. But then we must come to the third person of the Trinity. Here you are. The third dimension of an identity is your performance. You're the spirit's instrument. I know a couple of you in the early questions, you were talking about how uh, you're concerned for what is happening in the world, concerned for those who are struggling. Uh, we saw those pictures of 
the migrant workers struggling. But you are the Spirit's instrument. That means he gives you for performance. Others may look at your numbers and say you are not delivering during this COVID time. Some of you have lost your roles, your positions, being furloughs. One of my friends, all of his four children, they've lost their jobs. The entrepreneurs don't have projects that are ready and coming up. They're not maturing. What usually takes uh, a slow time seems to be never, never there at all. Cash flows are hard. God says, uh, I still have something for you to do. By my spirit, I have endowed you. My recognition of you does not depend upon your success because you belong to me. And because you are precious to me, I will make you strategic. My gifts have not been withdrawn. I've given it to you. You are my instrument. If you came to my offices, you'll find the metaphors of my life. I've got many of them. But there are three primary metaphors. Rajiv has been there. You'll find globes from all over the world. For me, globes show the scope of what is my responsibility. The whole globe. Because that's what is on God's heart. So I've got beautiful globes on my desk. I'm looking for one right now. This is simply a blue marble on my desk. Also on my desk are clocks. Your globes, globes show uh, scope. For me, clocks show urgency, that I've got to be urgent, especially since I don't know how long I have, neither do you. I was in a beautiful country by the name of Montenegro. At the end of the conference, the leader, the host, got up and said, Sir, we notice you're an urgent man. And he set the clock to five minutes to 12. And he said to me, we don't want you to lose your sense of urgency. Five minutes to midnight. So I came back to our office, turned all our 50, 60 clocks, just representing many parts of the world, places I've been. We turned all the clocks to five minutes to 12. Now, some of my colleagues think it's five minutes to lunch permanently, but really it means five minutes to midnight. But the third metaphor is what I want to share with you. The third metaphor is that of a pen. A pen. Now, some of you might remember uh, fountain pens. I like fountain pens. Actually, when I'm in Mumbai at the Logos Management Club, uh, that was 150th anniversary of Gandhiji. And in the Gandhiji store, as you know, uh, in the airport, there, there were about four or five Gandhi fountain pens. So I bought all of them. I think they were made in China, but oh, I bought all of them. Beautiful pens. This is made by High Design, another famous Indian company. It has some Soweto South African leather around it. The nib of the pen is the most critical. The nib is the engine of the pen. 
If the nib is not clean, there will be no flow. I need to be cleaned publicly and personally. There needs to be consistency in my cleanliness. Morally, spiritually clean. It's one of the great privileges because he has already given you his salvation, you can confess your sins. He'll not only forgive your sins, but what? Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We often pursue the first part of that verse, but the cleansing is also good. Secondly, a fountain pen uh, depletes very, very fast. I have a few. Some pens, uh, by the way, this is already depleted, which means I've got to change it out. I need to refill the ink, and I deplete very, very fast. And the Lord, by his spirit, has to refill me for the task. I prayed for that for this session. This is the fourth session. Last night, I was in a Manila group for about two and a half hours. That depleted me. I finished very late in the night. And I wanted him to give me strength for today to address you, my sister and brother. But the most important point of a pen is that there is no power in the pen. There is no power in the pen unless the author picks it up. I have cheap pens. I have expensive pens. I have ordinary pens. I have good-looking pens. But regardless of the pen, there is no power in the pen unless the author picks it up. The Spirit of God picks me up, picks you up, and uses you. You're an instrument. He'll never withdraw the endowments of his calling and his competence that he's built into you. You're not incompetent. All 250 of you, you're not incompetent. We are inadequate, but we're not incompetent. So we've got to take care of the identity issue for inadequacy issues. It's been a long time since I've been on a plane. You probably have not started traveling much either. You've seen all those memes and funny videos about people missing flights and therefore they get to flights to nowhere. Start and come back to the same place, go to it as a restaurant or just want to experience what it is inside a plane. In Brunei, they had the Royal Brunei Airlines did a three hour flight. And one man said, I just wanted to hear the stewardess make the early announcement, please fasten your seat belts and all that good stuff. Now, like you, when those announcements are going on, I don't pay much attention. But one part of the announcement usually gets my notice. It goes this way. If you are traveling with a child, please attend to yourself first when the oxygen masks come down and we lose oxygen pressure, you as an adult, put the oxygen mask first on yourself and then you put it on your child. You know why? Because unless you have your oxygen mask first, you are in the danger of losing both. In the quickness of the problem, the challenge of the immediate trouble, you are never the end, you are the means. So when you look at your identity, that is not for yourself's sake, 
That's narcissism. Chris Dunham, who's going to be hopefully visiting with you November 7th, I want to encourage you to go. Amazing story of that man. He says, narcissism is too hard to spell. That's why we call it selfie. We don't put on the identity for others. We put on identity for our own sake, but it's not for our self's sake. It is for others' sake. Our God-sourced identity becomes a new mode by which you execute your service to others. To fulfill my professorial obligations, I'm going to give you some homework. Now, what I'm going to give you is a verse or two that I want you tomorrow, perhaps on Sunday, as part of your wonderful Sabbath principle, do some work with your Bibles, either a hard copy or your soft Bible app, though that possibly distracts you into going to Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. I'm going to give you three statements and verses around them. This is a theological talk rather than an exposition of a passage. And write these down as homework. For the first one, which says belonging, you belong as God's child, write down the verse 1 John 3, 1. 1 John 3, 1. And this line, I am known and chosen by God the Father. I am known and chosen by God the Father. 1 John 3, 1. Then go to your Bible. If there's cross-reference in your hard copy, go across the cross-references. This will be a very enriching time. You need it when you're exhausted. Or if you have a Bible application of some sort, look for cross-references. Not just different versions on the same passage, but different references. When you learn to study the Bible on your own, then you're administering medicine. Don't always go to the doctor. Don't always have to go to a Zoom call to find spiritual instruction. So the first one, belonging as God's child, I am known and chosen by God the Father. The second one, appearance as God's bride, appearance as God's bride. Write this one, I'm loved and valued by God the Son. I'm loved and valued by God the Son. John 15, 13. Write it down, look it up, study it, go to cross-references. For example, that particular verse, Jesus exceeds what he says is love. He says, greater love has no one than this, and he lays down his life for his friends. And I still remember my father saying, Jesus exceeded it. He laid down his life for his enemies. That's you and me. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. We closed our fist against Almighty God. And he said, I love you. Be a part of my bride. So look at those verses. The third is performance as God's instrument. Performance as God's instrument. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. He's gifted you. And he's made you competent by God the Spirit. Write down, I am gifted and competent by God's Spirit. I would like you 
to do the homework and send it to Compass, CBMC, Logos Management Club, whoever is your contact. Uh, actually, at the end of our session, I'm going to give you the two other tests that we can succeed. I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to send it to you, an article, which will be sent to either uh, Reverend Johnson Samuel or Reverend Rajiv, uh, not Reverend, Rajiv John. And if you would uh, put it on our chat as the link, we'll also maybe put it on your websites. You can find it on ours. You can study it. You can reread everything. You can do this on your own because this is not a flight to nowhere. Your identity is an oxygen mask so that you can serve others. Uh, let me pray. Our Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we come to you in the name of uh, the Lord Jesus, with whom yes, we have Lord. a relationship who gives us access. I thank you for my dear sisters and brothers from all across our land and beyond. To know that we are co-workers with you is beyond our ability to understand, but we receive it. And we want to fulfill the mandates that you've given to your church, but especially to each one of us. I pray that every person present on this call will first sense an assurance that cannot be mitigated by any coronavirus or any earthly temptation or sin or uh, any circumstance which attempts to separate us from the love of Christ. I pray that you bless each one, their personal lives, their marriage lives, their family lives, their work lives, their ministry lives, in every sphere in which you place them, in businesses and professions and government and education and the church. Let them be, and I want to be joining them during this time of darkness and death to bring light and life to our world in our small, specific, and niche ways. Thank you for Compass and CBMC and Logos Management Club. Thank you for all that is happening. Continue to bring spiritual health, help us to distribute it deep and wide across people and the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I ask these things. Amen.